you know, if you hear anybody talk about, you know, what to say if you meet someone that's really important to you or a celebrity, yeah. you know, the idea that they've already heard that a thousand times. And it's not, it's not probably that Bruce does not appreciate hearing that. Yeah. He's just heard it so much. Yes. And I, what, he doesn't have another answer to give probably. So we were lucky enough to have a small moment. And, th- and this is going to sound silly other than the fact of what we just talked about. So I talked about the fact that I went up on stage first and I got my picture taken, but you're kind of nervous in that sure. situation too. And I knew that my wife was coming up right behind me, but as soon as we were done with the picture, I started stepping off the stage because yeah. I wanted to be, you know, in order and then not, not yeah. stay too long. And then uh, I turned around and I looked at him and I said, I forgot about her. And he looked back at me and he said, don't ever forget about her. Oh, that's so, nice. So as, as small as that is, we actually had a small moment of real conversation because I had met Bruce several other times and said a lot of what you had said and got yeah. a similar reaction, right. which I don't blame him for at all. Oh, no, I don't but either. We, but we did have this little, you know, to me is, is memorable. everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me is one of my new friends. I love social media, where you get to meet and talk, and Mark Hornack, is that the correct way? That's really good, yeah. All right, Mark Hornack is joining me. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Yes. Uh, so um, normally when I record, it's just audio, but uh, we are uh, in the world of Zoom. Uh, so Mark and I are talking during Zoom and in the ba- behind his back on the wall is a picture of him and Bruce. Um, with, I didn't know that would come through so good. I, with, I just happened to be sitting here. Yes, with um, the playbills from Springsteen on Broadway, and it looks absolutely beautiful. So there, there is a little bit of a story about that. So we, we were able to do that picture uh, when Bruce came to Chicago on the book tour. And uh, I bought two books because the, the way it worked is to bring a person with you, you needed a, a book and a, right. and a ticket. So I wanted my wife to be able to come. And uh, so I went up first and I got my picture taken with Bruce. And then uh, my wife came up and she's like, well, you, you really should be in the picture too. So then we took a picture with the three of us. And uh, what ended up happening is we went uh, the second time. We were lucky enough to go to Bruce on Broadway, Spring Scene on Broadway a second time. And we got in the night before and we just had some time to kill. And we actually went over to the theater and people were starting to line up. So we had the pictures with us because it was at least a possibility of something we were going to do. And we got them both autographed. Oh, nice. It's amazing. Now, uh, the autograph on the picture just of me came out really good. And, you know, I don't know, did you get to go and be outside at all? No, I I went to Broadway, but I did not. And and finish your story and then I'll tell you mine. 
pretty, pretty crowded uh, afterwards, as you can imagine. The autograph on the second picture didn't come out quite as good, the one with my wife and I in it. So uh, she kindly has let me put up the picture of just Bruce and I, uh, rather than the one of all three of us. But it does exist, and it is also autographed, and it's also a thrill. So my, my memory of this, and I, ha I have a little tidbit, uh, but did you get any sort of interaction other than just the up and down off the stage? Did you get a word at all in? Um, so yes, um, the, um, and, and I apologize listeners who've heard this story before. Um, so I'm, what am I gonna say? I knew it would only be seconds. And um, so uh, I don't know, if you remember, but in the very beginning of the first Godfather, Luca Braxa is outside the Don's office and he keeps muttering to himself, may it be a masculine child on the day. Thank you for your, you know, he's just like practicing his speech. Well, I'm in my uh, Mitsubishi Lancer driving and that's all I'm doing between Dallas and Austin is just over and over. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And so, um, they, they call me up. I shake his hand. Um, he puts his arm around me and we're leaning through the camera and I go, um, I spent the last, last year I spent nine months unemployed and I listened to better days and land of hope and dreams every day. That's what got me through it. And I just wanted to say, thank you. Uh, that's cool, man. Don't know if he heard me. And as I've said multiple times, I needed to say it more than I needed him to hear it. But that was my four seconds of Bruce. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, um, you know, if you hear anybody talk about, you know, what to say if you meet someone that's really important to you or a celebrity, yeah. you know, the idea that they've already heard that a thousand times. And it's not, it's not probably that Bruce does not appreciate hearing that. Yeah. He's just heard it so much. Yes. And I, what, he doesn't have another answer to give probably. So we were lucky enough to have a small moment. And, th and this is going to sound silly other than the fact of what we just talked about. So I talked about the fact that I went up on stage first and I got my picture taken, but you're kind of nervous in that sure. situation too. And I knew that my wife was coming up right behind me, but as soon as we were done with the picture, I started stepping off the stage because yeah. I, I wanted to be, you know, in order and then not, not yeah. stay too long. And then uh, I turned around and I looked at him and I said, I forgot about her. And he looked back at me and he said, don't ever forget about her. Oh, that's so, nice. So as, as small as that is, we actually had a small moment of real conversation because I had met Bruce several other times and said a lot of what you had said and got yeah. a similar reaction, right. which I don't blame him for at all. Oh, no, I don't but either. We, but we did have this little, you know, to me is, is memorable. Yeah, that's great. That is great. Um, I, several years ago, I had a guy on the podcast who he ended up being backstage at one of like a Tonight Show or a late night show, one of them. And um, it was some kind of signing. And he told the story. I'll have to try to dig this out for my anniversary shows. But um, he asked Bruce, um, he and his wife were debating whether they should have another kid. And for some reason, he said, I do not know why I was crazy enough, but we were kind of in a hallway. And I'm like, um, Bruce, my wife and I are debating, should we have another kid? What do you think? And, and Bruce's like, well, wow, 
you know, that's forever. <laughs> I mean, he actually like, you know, like, you know, you, once you have a kid, it's, it's always, he said, but I'll tell you, I love our three. And then he's like, okay, honey, it's set. Bruce says we should have another baby. <laughs> that, that, that's amazing because again, they have a permanent memory of an actual, he thought about his answer. Yeah. That was a real moment with Bruce and oh, I, I bet they cherish that. Yeah, absolutely. So you, um, you did quickly, I didn't mean to cut you off, yeah, you no, no. hit on another one of my non-Bruce passions, uh, yeah. the Godfather. So you probably know the history of that Luca Brazzi scene. No, I don't. Please share. So the, the short version is um, he was nervous. Uh, and I, the, the actor's name escapes me. But he was nervous about going in there with Brando and doing his lines. And he was actually just sitting on that bench practicing. And Coppola saw him doing that and set up the camera and said, just keep going. And he was basically just practicing his lines. And they filmed that. And I think it creates a cool moment in the movie. I now love the scene even more you know because it it it, it was seemed so real yeah. exactly like you know because you know and and i love the godfather novel i you know i i i, I probably every couple of years i bring it out and i reread it i just I, I i just love the novel and and you know you talk about the novel goes into more about what he meant you know and how he saved um, his life and, and how much he de he was devoted to the dawn and and to see that that that's that's really a cool story i appreciate that i mean yeah that's it's impossible not to love that movie yeah absolutely all right well mark we're already uh 20 minutes into the podcast and i haven't even started my uh interview yet so this is going to be great um i always like to start at the beginning so uh, well i guess i didn't even tell us a little about yourself Sure. Besides, you love The Godfather, and you've gotten to go to Broadway twice. <laughs> Those are pretty good. Yeah. So, let's see. I've been married for 23 years. Uh, my wife, Carrie Ann. We've got three kids. Uh, I have a girl that is a junior in college. I've got a girl that's a junior in high school, and a boy that is a freshman in high school. Uh, I work as a financial advisor. I've been in the same job for the last 20 some years. Uh, a lot of my free time, you know, especially with kids here, has at least the last seven, eight, 10 years has been a lot of coaching youth sports. I'm a big sports person, big sports fan, uh, love coaching, love being a part of it. And obviously that's slowed down a lot over the last couple of months. And, you know, at the same time with a kid that's about to be, that just started as a freshman, you know, really those days are kind of over for me now as well. I still get to a lot of live music, either big or small, but again, that's not really happening uh, in any way. And it's, this is probably the longest period I could ever remember without being at a live music event of any kind. Uh, I live in a town called Cary, Illinois, which is about 40 minutes, 45, maybe an hour, depending on the day, northwest of Chicago. And I grew up in a town that's not far from there, Elgin, Illinois, which is just a little bit south of where I'm at right now. So in a wonderful um, kind of synchronicity or, you know, kind of I ironic, um, you know, I told you I had another podcast I was recording before. Mm -hmm. um, Kyle lives in Chicago. <laughs> and uh, we were just, we were talking and we just had a great time. So did you grow up in the Chicago? So um, this area? 
I grew, I grew up in Elgin. Uh, we moved there when I was eight. Before that, we were in a little farm town in Iowa called Victor, Iowa. We moved to Elgin when I was eight and basically was there through high school. So uh, did, um, connected to Chicago sports or do you have so, uh, unusual I love, alliances? I love, the Bulls. I love the Cubs, but uh, I'm really into the Cowboys. And I know okay. you're there in Dallas. And yes. basically the history of that is that my dad uh, went to a school in Dallas in the late 60s, early 70s. And he did not really have a team that he followed when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And that's really when they were starting to become. Yes, a big they are. Player, Absolutely. Starting to get good. And he kind of grabbed onto them as his team. So even though we you know, lived in Chicago, I think it's very common. You watch what your parents do. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I remember him yelling at the TV and throwing a pillow. And we, my brother and I both love the Cowboys. And it's still the case. Yeah. Uh, we are, um, so you will appreciate this. I, I was telling Kyle the same story. Um, he's a Giants fan and, uh, he, cause he grew up in Jersey and he moved, uh, to Chicago to teach. And, uh, he was, he, he was, I told him about, well, yeah, he says, I don't, he says, maybe I should have become a Bears fan. Cause I don't know if the Giants are going to do anything. And I, I made the joke, but they've gotten Jason Garrett now. And he rolled his eyes. He said, what's your thought? And I said, well, um, Jason Garrett is a huge Bruce Springsteen fan and a huge Dylan fan. And um, he probably got an extra three or four years of loyalty out of me. Like when everyone else was like, oh, we need to fire Garrett. We need to fire him. We're like, well, he really likes Bruce. He seems like a good guy. You know, maybe this is his year. And so um, – Kyle asked, do you, do you have a little regret on that? I go, maybe, but you know, we Bruce fans have to stick together. <laughs> I remember when, uh, so it was 98, I guess, when the tracks box set came out. And uh, I remember reading that Jason Garrett had held a listening party at his house for some of the other Cowboys. And I always wanted to know who else was invited to that Springsteen listening party at Jason Garrett's house. I, I do know that because um, that would have been when he was a player, but and when he was a coach, I know that on the off season, no, it was during the bye week because um, no, no, it had to have been off season because it was, it was Garrett's birthday. Uh, Romo, Witten um, and Garrett. And I don't know who else all flew to see a Bruce show in, in, New Jersey or Philly to celebrate Jason's birthday. So, yeah, so that's good. Well, as one Cowboy fan to another, I don't know what we're going to do. This is just, uh, it's, it's been a long time since the Aikman Super Bowl years. They're in, they're in good shape right now, but it's hard to be confident. As my son, who is quick to tell you, he was born in February, 1989. So he was born during the Landry era. Landry got fired two weeks after he was born. So technically he's a Landry baby and do not correct him. Um, Jace, uh, Quincy Carter was the first quarterback in that in his adult, in his sports consciousness that won a playoff game. Um, so he, uh, he was too young to enjoy the Aikman and stuff, you know, um, and, 
you know, he said, you know, dad, it's just like us. We get a great new coach. We have a dynamic running back. We have an outstanding quarterback. We get one of the top receivers in the draft and then COVID hits. <laughs> like we can't catch a break. <laughs> well, there's a long way to go. So hopefully there's some good news. Yes. Yeah, so hopefully so. We, uh, we may have, I may have to have you mark mid season or right. what I should do. It'd be fun is if I could get Chris to join us and the three of us do a cowboy round table. Um, so Talking about growing up, what kind of music did your parents and you listen to? Sure. So as a little kid, and I don't think what I, what I didn't say is my dad was actually in Dallas and he was at a school called Dallas Theological Seminary. I am aware of it. Yeah. So he, uh, when, when I grew up, he was a minister. He was the pastor of our church. And um, that's kind of one of my memories that I'll kind of come to that in a second. But what I would say is, you know, popular music of the time was really not a big deal in our house. The records I remember my parents having, and this is no slight on them, uh, were you know John Denver, The Carpenters, and there's a lot of th both those bands that I love, or both those artists that I love. So it's not a slight on them at all, but that was, that was their interest. And I think, that, I think my parents liked music, but it really just was not something that was on their radar. And they weren't aware, we didn't have the radio on, maybe news radio. And I, have, I do have, I have this early memory. So I must have been in the car with someone. And I think Start Me Up came out in 82. The, the date could be wrong, but it was around then. And it must have been a situation where I had gotten a ride with someone multiple times, either to a practice or to school or something. And I think it was on the radio all the time when it first came out. And I remember being at a pizza hut and it was on in the background and I, I knew the words and I was, you know, nine, 10 years old. And my parents were so surprised that I was aware of this song on the radio. Again, not in a bad way. It was just something that was so off their radar. What uh, denomination uh, was your dad uh, as a pastor? So I would say it's an evangelical independent for the okay. most part. It was a, a Bible church and then a, a Baptist church before that. Okay. So I was raised Southern Baptist. Mm -hmm. um, my wife was raised Catholic. I converted um, while we were dating. Once we got it to be serious, um, she was um, not insistent, but she was, I knew it would be easier for a lot of reasons if I converted. Um, so I used to joke I was either Roman Catholic or Southern Baptist. Yeah, I was either Roman Baptist or Southern Catholic. You know, I have this. Uh, so, um, so yes, and, and I had a lot of growing up in a Southern Baptist church, um, met a lot of preacher kids, and, uh, you know, and all that entailed, you know, some of them really good, some of them, yeah. you know, rebelling. So that's, I, I can imagine that's a unique perspective. It is, but I, I actually, you know, the, the fun part of kind of, you know, even thinking about coming on here is I did think about some things when you, you, cause I've heard you ask this question about what did you listen to and what shaped you and that kind of thing. I hadn't thought about it much before, but uh, church was a big part of shaping me musically i think first and foremost if you're going to church as a kid and you're there every week you're seeing music performed more often 
than uh, than most kids would see if they're if they're not. And then you know today, and I think you're probably aware, a lot of bigger churches in particular are going with more of a modern worship style, drums, yes. guitar, and so forth. I definitely grew up in a more traditional uh, piano on one side of the stage and an organ on the other side of the stage, and that's what led the music. Yes. Now, I hadn't thought about this until recently, but that sounds a lot like the E Street Bandstand. I have never connected those dots till just now, and I now will never not think of that. Uh, yes, I, in fact, um, it is... I have been, I have been Catholic. Probably, I have been Catholic longer than I was Baptist. Yet, um, the there is only a handful, less than five, songs that that are sung in at mass that I would know, and I could probably well when Alan Jackson a few years ago did, um, he did a collection of of hymns. I, I don't know if you've ever looked at it, but no. uh, basically he, he wanted to do a, a Christmas gift for his wife's mom and his mom. So they got an old Southern Baptist hymnal and they started flipping. And so with his guitar, with a guitar and a piano, he sang all these hymns oh, and, that. And it yes, you go online, check it. It's a wonderful, and um, there's some amazing, obviously, like Johnny Cash or Elvis recordings. Yeah, yes, and so, um, but there are songs that right now that if you started singing a hymn, like if as a kid, right, I would right. know immediately. I would know the you know <laughs> not the third verse because it's only first, second, and fourth verse, right? Um, in fact, one Sunday, I remember our musical minister said. Um, Today we're doing nothing but third verses. <laughs> we never sing the third verse. So today, every song we're going to sing, just the third verse. And I always thought that was a, a fun thing to do. So yeah, that's, that's a big influence. Well, how about when you got into high school? Where did your music move to? So, so like I said, it wasn't much at home, but clearly because of my age, you know, I was born in 73. You know, by the time I was 10, 11, 12 years old, we were slow to get cable at our house, sure. at everybody else's house we were at had MTV on. And I remember, you know, an MTV countdown. And if I was first discovering it around that time, you know, clearly it was Prince, Madonna, uh, Michael Jackson, and then Bruce was all over the place. Sure. So I would say that was certainly a uh, part of the start, but I think, and I think this happens to a lot of people, I think a big part of it was just, the clock radio in my room and you know I, I didn't know what I was looking for but I know I was scrolling around and found a classic rock station and I must have heard something that I recognized and that thing just stayed there for many many years after that and I, I've always kind of talked about it in a way that imagine you're completely unaware of all these classic novels and then someone hands you all of the great works of all time well, to me, when I was 12, 13, 14, and I'm hearing all of this music from the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, and they're playing nothing but the best songs on some of those classic rock stations, it was like one after the other of just, I like all of this. I, yeah. It was Bruce. It was, it was CCR. 
uh, Elton John, Billy Joel, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Bob Seger, love Bob Seger, uh, and probably the band I liked the most through high school, which, you know, our 10, 12 years past breaking up at that point was the Eagles. Uh, I know the Eagles get kind of a bad rap, like music snob wise. Yeah. But they have a ridiculously great number of songs. One of the regrets or my, and, and on the scheme of things, this is not important for this summer of COVID, but um, I, I graduated high school in 77. Okay. So the Eagles were prime high school band. You know, I used to joke that you're either Fleetwood Mac guy or an Eagles guy, you know, Hotel California rumors. And not Ooh. that you couldn't appreciate both, but you're one of them. And I was an Eagles guy and I adored and I'd never seen them live. And Lynn and I had tickets to see them. And then COVID happened. Um, oh, and even yeah. though uh, Glenn Fry was gone, uh, Vince Gill was filling in. And I'm like, oh, I love Vince Gill. That'll be a great show. Um, so it has been rescheduled to September 2021. And I'm like, really, Ticketmaster? You, you can't give me back my very expensive tickets that I paid, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yes, but I, I love the Eagles. Yeah, and I mean, it's clearly not all of the same guys at this point, but I'm sure yeah. that's going to be great yes. and enjoy it. Yeah. So when did Bruce become someone you were passionate slash obsessed with? Sure. Um, you know, I talked a little bit about the MTV part of that and, and Born in the USA, and clearly that would have been impossible to miss. And I liked all of that. And I would say those were some of my favorites. But again, I named other bands that were out on MTV at the time, and I was just as excited about them. There was certainly a, a cool factor to Bruce that I couldn't quite put my finger on, but he certainly didn't separate himself uh, in my right. mind in those days. And then slowly but surely, um, I think you get, uh, I went through that Columbia House phase where I just uh, got all my albums for a penny. And uh -huh. some of those were Born to Run. Yeah. Um, and then at one point, one of those was Tunnel of Love. And I started hearing some of these other songs that you know wasn't, weren't on TV and that I wasn't aware of. And these became some of my favorites also. So I didn't get to see Bruce until uh, 92. Again, from a timing standpoint, I would have been you know, 10, 11, maybe 12 when Born in the USA was coming through Chicago. And even, even just a few years later on Tunnel Love, you know, I, I, a 16, you know, 15 year old kid was not gonna be driving himself sure. you know, town, at least not at my house they weren't. It wasn't something that we even talked about doing. So it wasn't until much later. So I saw Bruce in the 92 tour, and then I, even, I saw a Joad show as well. But I would say what really pushed things over the top was starting to collect and just getting my hands on some bootlegs, especially of, of older shows. And I remember at first, you know, buying some, and they were pretty expensive at the sure. time. You'd go into an old record store, and there'd be a three-disc show, and it might be $75. And, that was clearly money a college kid probably should not have been spending. Yeah. Some of those were too tempting. Right. Uh, but after college, 
there was a guy I met on one of the message boards. And I don't know if you were active, I don't think in those days, but no. in the early days of message boards, there was something called the Lucky Town Digest. Okay. And somehow I was reading on there and I picked up the idea that I could send blank tapes to someone and they would, they would be nice enough to send me shows back. And I somehow got in contact with this guy named Paul Kruer. Okay. And this guy could not have been kinder to me. He, uh, I had nothing to give him, but he emailed me this list of hundreds of shows. And I just started picking them off one at a time. And I would email him back and he would take all this time to tell me which one to get or which one to listen to. Oh, how fun. It was a little better. And the kindness that he showed me was so ridiculous to someone he just met on the internet. And it clearly it took time for him to make these tapes. But I remember just listening to those over and over again. Those tapes were in my car over and over again. There's, there's a December, um, 1980 river show that i could almost re if i put it in now i could recite the noise in the crowd or the oh how funny people having because i listened to it so uh many times and i actually i learned uh online on one of the other message boards that i think paul died just a few years ago and we hadn't talked in years but i i, I felt bad i felt horrible sure. all, my first thought was i couldn't i had forgotten how kind and wonderful that guy had been to me yeah. Oh, so, so either yeah. way, to finish that thought, hearing those shows over and over again, I just, I got so much more excited about some of the other songs, the less obvious songs. Right. A lot of the stuff on Darkness, uh, Deeper Cuts on the River, songs that people don't necessarily ever hear on the radio, and especially Darkness on the Edge of Town, the album. I think it's, you, can, you can obviously get into Born to Run because it's going to be on the radio. You can obviously get into Born in the USA. Most of Darkness on the Edge of Town doesn't end up on the radio. Even no, it doesn't. Yet. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a separator, I think, of I really like Bruce and then I'm infatuated. When you really start to love Promised Land or Racing or any of those songs, it's, sure. it takes it to a new level. And I would say those live tapes pushed me so much farther. And at some point after that, Bruce was the guy I cared about more than anybody else. So I always preface this, and, and if you've heard the show, you know I say this, but I don't think the amount of times you've seen Bruce is a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. But for the record, do you keep track of the number of shows you've seen and how many? I, I actually always appreciate the way that you say that because the first time I heard you say it, I thought he's describing me. So I'll say that I've seen 53 shows. So I think to a normal person, that sounds like a ridiculous amount of times to have seen anybody. Right. But when you talk to people in, you know, that, that are in this world, you yeah. hear some ridiculous numbers that are so much bigger at the same time. So I think it's a great number, and I again, I think someone was on recently talking about quality versus quantity. Yeah. First of all, I've, I've seen my share of shows, but at the same time, I've seen some that are so memorable that I just feel lucky to have seen some of the ones that I did. You want to share a couple? Sure. Um, I think I'll just go through a few. 
one thing that kind of sticks out. By the way, I'm going to stop you. Um, Did we lose track? No, 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 you're good. I'm just going to say um, I appreciate the homework. I normally um, – I normally cannot, once again, I'm talking about, I usually am not seeing the video and for listeners, it, and I say this with the right love in my heart, you know, Mark apologized before we start recording, like, okay, I've made a few notes, Jesse, so I don't want you to think I'm not looking at you. And, and I, you know, Mark has done his homework and like, well done, sir. I appreciate you. I think, I think we've all been giving some sort of work type presentation and you're up there talking and then it's over and everybody goes home and you're like, oh, I should have said this. Yes. So that, that was part of my fear. I love that. This helps me get my, my thoughts. Good. All right. So continue on. So the, the first thing, you know, and I, I'd seen shows before this, uh, like I said, I saw a 92 show, I saw a Joe show, and then um, I was even lucky enough to see one of the rehearsal shows in Asbury Park uh, at the start of the reunion tour. We were there the second night. But the first time I remember really um, thinking that I saw something special, and, and don't let me discount those reunion shows. Those were amazing. Sure. I was just blown away to see them. But a thought that actually sticks out in mind was the, was, was the first time I saw one of the rising shows. And I think the first rising show I was at was in Detroit at, in Auburn Hills. And the thing that stands out is the first two songs were The Rising, and then they went into Lonesome Day. And I remember thinking, that, I mean, the room was just on fire. And I remember thinking, this is amazing, because I had seen the crowd explode for Badlands and, and the other songs, the older songs on the reunion tour. People were just as excited for some of these new songs. And I remember thinking, this is so great that not only is he on tour again, but now he's playing some of these songs and the crowd seems to love them just as much. And then, you know, just a couple weeks later, I saw the same, you know, a show in Chicago and it had only gotten better. I remember the place, the place was just going nuts. And I had such an appreciation for the fact that, especially after seeing so many bands over the years where they'd come out and just played the hits or, you know, some sort of reunion type show. It was amazing to me how well those new songs uh, came across. Uh, you know, yeah, go ahead. So my first show was the Rising Tour 2002 in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And I had bought the CD, but I wasn't an obsessive guy yet. Mm -hmm. Like I had listened to it maybe once or twice. And I was just excited about seeing Bruce because I had never seen him before, just for various reasons. Um, you know, the kid duties or have no money. Uh, you know, um, never even would have thought about going to see him. Um, I'm now kick myself. I was living in Dallas and he did, you know, a Bronco bowl, which is a really small venue we used to have when he was doing, you know, lucky town time, you know, he would have done it. I think that was actually the Joe tour that he did the Bronco. Okay, was it? Okay. Yeah. So uh, anyway, right. The chances of, I could have seen him. And, um, so I didn't know hardly any of the songs he did. You know, and because, um, but what I said is, I felt like I'd gotten in a movie halfway through and was fascinated that I didn't know the rest of the story. I was entertained, but I was confused, you know, and so, um, and so I ended up 
a friend of mine gave me a bootleg of the Dallas show. And by then, you know, I, 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 I'd become obsessed. So I'd listen to the rising over and over and over again. And then I was like, damn it, damn it. I wish, man, why to do it? So when uh, devils and dust came out, I played that thing over and over and over and over again. And so when he came to grand Prairie to, for the devils and dust tour, right? Like I was ready. I was like a guy on jeopardy with my hand on the buzzer. Yep. I know that one. Yep. I know that one. And it was, it was the first concert I took where I, I, I was your audience. These new songs, I was like, yes, I love, I want to hear Silver Palomino. Oh, I want to hear Devils of Dust. I want to hear Jesus is an Only Son. So sorry for the tangent. Oh, that, that's great. Well, and I, I don't think we mentioned that my brother lives in Plano. Oh, okay. So I've had reason to get down there and go to a show together. And I think we were actually at the same show there. I was at that Grand Prairie show. Okay, and yes. The cool thing, uh, obviously, I'd been waiting. I talked about those tapes that I had. And right. certainly one of those tapes was the Christic shows. Yes. Uh, that are, you know, now you can get those through the archive series. Yeah. But I had my own bootlegs of those. And, you know, for years, people had talked about Real World and how amazing it was. And I just, I just loved it. And then he did, he played that in a rehearsal. Uh, and I think he might have even played it the first night. And I remember thinking, oh, he just played it. There's no way he's going to play it. I flew all the way to Dallas. And he played it that night. And I just couldn't have been more excited. And it, was, it sounded, in that room especially, it just sounded so great. The, um, it was the, my second show. I had gotten the ticket. Um, I was at the very back of the lower section. And there was a podium on this side the aisle on this side I had a seat that was like you know that and someone came up to me and said do you want a better seat I'm like oh no I'm fine I'm fine they're like oh scalpers right and all of a sudden it hit me wait a minute I'm in the venue this can't be a scalper so I went back hell sir do you do you still have a better ticket? Oh yeah, sure. So I ended up being uh, four or fives from the stage. Um, as someone had said, um, I did, I had better tickets than Babe Laufenberg, the cowboy backup quarterback, but not as good as Moose Johnston, which by the way, Moose, when he came in, I don't know if you remember this, if you heard, but they moose, moose. And it was like, no, not Bruce. They were moose. Um, right in the middle of just a little bit ways back. Yeah. So yeah. The, the amazing thing is that we were probably within a row or two of each we other. We probably were. Yes. Yes. Um, so anyway, great show. Oh, great was, show! And then, so, so the other, the other memory, and I'll, I'll just do this, and then, and then one other set of, of shows. But at this, on the same tour, and this is, this is just such a, a wonderful thing that's just stuck in my brain. And you can actually look this up on YouTube, and I think it comes across just as cool. But you can't see it; you can only hear it. So when he came to Chicago on the Devils and Dust tour. Uh, he, he got to near the end of the show and he played Land of Hope and Dreams. And about halfway through the song, uh, at least one or two guitar, guitar strings broke. And, you know, he, he actually looked at, out to the crowd uh, and he said, oh, we're in trouble now. But <laughs> he kept singing. He kind of he kept singing it a cappella. And one by one, the, the room started clapping 
along in, in, a, in, a, in rhythm and that everyone was on their feet. And now he's singing with just the crowd clapping along and you know the guitar guys running on with the new guitar, but there was probably about 30 or 40 seconds there where there was no music. It was just the crowd clapping him along. And he picked up the guitar and he picked up right where he was as he was singing and kind of finished the song. And everyone knew that they had seen something amazing. And, you know, even Bruce realized it. And you, you always want to have these little moments because he looked back into the crowd afterward and he said, thank the Lord for happy accidents. Because he realized that for a moment there, we were all together. I am so jealous because <laughs> um, before Broadway, right, mm -hmm. they, they had talked about he did that mini concert for the Obama administration, you know, the yeah. staff. And one of the things they talked about is he did an acoustical version of Land and Hope and Dreams. And that is probably my favorite Springsteen song. And, I, you know, I thought about, God, how cool would that be to hear acoustical version? And then we did get that in the Broadway show. So I, 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 I can hear that, but I did just make a note to go Google to try to find that Chicago show. Cause I need oh, to hear that. So cool. It's yeah. so cool. So the only, the only, and you know, we, we could talk about this forever, but the only other set of shows, and this, this is the, this is the piece for me that is probably the most memorable of everything. And it's really where I think I saw my like handful of shows where the band was, was at their best. And I think a lot of people have that feeling and, you know, sometimes you have to see a show more than once to kind of get these. And sometimes yeah. it's even in an out-of-the-way place. But when we got to the second half of the Magic Tour, okay. the Midwest was very blessed uh, by these shows. So the first one uh, was in Indianapolis. And I don't know if you remember hearing about that, but that was the show that Danny actually came back and played. Right. And... Uh, he played a couple of songs. Clearly, uh, you could tell that the whole band was kind of emotional about it. And it was just really an amazing thing to see. It was super cool. And I went then to the next show. I think, I think it was two days later, I went to Cincinnati on the same tour. And Cincinnati, that, that show has kind of a reputation of being one of the shortest Bruce shows. And a lot of people say that the band was kind of shook by what had happened. And then I guess there was- Makes sense. Danny was not even doing well, and maybe that trip had kind of taken a lot out of him, whatever it might have been. But the, the Cincinnati show was particularly short. But uh, I was in the pit, and I don't know how this happened or why this happened, but the if you remember, Cincinnati has ha had the who issue back in the late right. 70s. Yes. For, for, a, for a floor general admission, there was a lot less people both in the pit, and there was a lot less people on the floor. So it just it was kind of sparse even. Yeah. I don't know if, if, I don't know if this is why that happened, but I remember I was, uh, I was on the left side and I was, you know, I was into the show. And for some reason I was, you know, I was probably 10 people back, but I locked eyes with Clarence and I don't know, I, but this is, this is my memory of it. At least I kind of thought he was looking at me for whatever reason. And I actually put my finger up and pointed at him. And he picked his hand up and pointed back at me. And, you know, maybe he was pointing at someone else. Yeah. It was so clear to me that for a second, uh, we saw each other. Yeah. So, so that's, that's that. And then after that, it gets into just the, 
you know, what some people say are the best shows they've done in the reunion area era. So the show that really gets underrated is uh, the night before St. Louis in 2008. A lot of people talk about that as you know, the biggest deal. The, the show before that in Nashville was amazing. And, you know, he did uh, growing up and someone, someone had put a sign up, you know, to tell a story about the guitar and, you know, lots of times he'd played growing up during the reunion era and just played the song. And it was just funny after hearing all those bootlegs, he yeah. looked out into the crowd and said, there I was. And, started, and it was just so neat because he hadn't been doing that. Right. And everybody realized, hey, even Bruce thinks this is fun. He was having yes. fun with it. Uh, and then the next night was that St. Louis show, which really, in my opinion, lives up to everything that people say about it. And then I was lucky enough then to go to the Harley show just a couple of shows later. And that was the end. But for about four or five shows there, they, one was just better than the other. And it seemed like they were just having as much fun as we're, we're having. And people always ask me, they say, you know, why, you know, and I kind of laughed. You've told the story a couple of times about telling your boss, you know, you yeah. went to Bruce once or twice when really you'd been five times at right. or whatever it might have been. But people will ask you, why? do you go more than once? It's the same show. And it's not the same show. But at the end of the day, I know it's show business. And I know that um, some nights maybe they don't want to be there as much as we do. But almost every single night that I've left the arena or the theater, whatever it is, he made me believe that he wanted to be there as much as I did. Whether it was, whether it was a show or not, yeah, made me believe that he wanted to be there as much as I did. When, when the river tour happened, and um, and you know, I had gone through that, you know, I had gone through that almost a year of unemployment, and um, and my my wife, you know. I got tickets to go see the, see the tour opened in Pittsburgh. Okay. And, um, and so, and then she bought me a ticket for Louisville and then I ended up on the second leg. He played in Oklahoma city and Dallas. So, um, but someone asked, well, okay, you say the show is different every time, but this one it's not, he's doing the whole river. So it's, you don't have the spontaneity. Why would you go to see that show more at the same time? And I said, well, first off, I'm, I'm playing catch up. I said, when, <laughs> you know, it, when you're playing a football game and you miss the extra point, it feels like you're chasing that point the rest of the game. You know, I, 2002 is my first live show. And, and originally I, there, it wasn't a concept of, well, if he didn't come to Dallas, I'll miss it this tour. There was no thought of driving or flying somewhere to see, you know, that's crazy talk. Who kind of people do that? So I was, uh, you know, I, I was trying to do my share of, of you know, um, running up the score. Um, but watching them on stage and this is now then the new version of the E Street Band, um, not the E Street Band on steroids or the E Street Orchestra, which I adore. It's just the just the you know core band with the new additions after losing Danny and Clarence and with Susie. And 
I don't know if it's because David Bowie died and then Glenn Fry or what, but every time I saw them, it appeared there was such joy in their faces. And there was, you know what? We're at the, we're not at the end of the road, but there is less road in front of us than there is behind us. Now we may live another 20, 30 years and we may play rock and roll another 20, 30 years, but we don't know. And we're going to treasure every night on stage together. And as an audience member, I felt that way. So I agree with you. I, I don't, Carl Wilson in an interview once said that he got tired of singing Help Me Rhonda. Okay. I, he just was like, okay, the band needs to hear, but I just, if I have to sing Help Me Rhonda one more time, I'm just going to throw up. And he said in the middle of a show, he looked down at the crowd and he saw the joy in their faces as they were singing. And he just felt alive all over again and just enjoyed singing the song. Um, and it probably wasn't Help Me Rhonda because Al Jardine sings lead on that. But anyway, the point was there was some song. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think the band does love it. And I do think that, um, you know, as Bruce talked about it, you are, you play music. You know, you don't work music, you play music. So yeah, great show. Great. Those, those are great stories. I, I wanted to ask you earlier, um, so you have a wife, two daughters, and a son. Where are they in the Springsteen fandom circle? So two of the kids have been to a show. The oldest uh, went to a river show. And, you know, she's in college now, and I'd say she's much more into electronic dance music. Sure. But she's certainly aware, uh, after a whole childhood of hearing Bruce in the car, when we went to a show on the river tour, uh, she knew every song because yeah. she just grew up with that. And I, I fully plan to take her again. My middle daughter has not been, and mostly just because it hasn't worked out time-wise or schedule-wise or whatever, but I'm anxious to do that. Funny enough, my son, who, like I said, is a freshman now, he actually saw a show on the High Hopes tour. Oh, uh, nice. Where at the time, what year would that have been? So, I mean, he was maybe in second or third grade only. So that's 12, 13, right? I think probably 14. 14. Yeah, 14. Yeah, 14. Yeah. Exactly right. So he yeah. was nine. And uh, when, uh, let's see, when, 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 when Wrecking Ball came out, uh -huh. he, I'm sorry. Yes, when Wrecking Ball came out, he learned all of those songs. Uh, he, he had it on in his room all the time. And, you know, even songs that maybe weren't even that popular in the Springsteen world. Like, I remember hearing him up in his room singing Easy Money. Yeah. And, you know, he would talk. I remember one time he was talking to one of his little nine or ten year old friends and they were talking about something they had heard in the top 40. And he said, have you heard Easy Money? <laughs> and I remember the kid looked at him like, and I don't know what you're talking about. So, uh, and so he's been to a show. Uh, I plan to take everybody again if the band sure. goes again. So I'd say they all love music, uh, but my middle daughter had not had a chance to go yet. Okay, very nice, very good. So great stories about the shows and sharing. Um, are there any songs that 
are mean a special to you or your family or there like dream baby dream is is kind of become a family anthem for us for a lot of reasons so um tougher than the rest is a song that um means a lot to my son and my hometown so how about you are there songs that either mean a lot to you or maybe you and your um you and your family sure uh i you know for me i could probably break it down a couple different ways. Okay. They're the three albums that stand out far above the rest for me are Born to Run, Darkness, and Tunnel of Love. Right. And I could talk about each of those, you know, for the longest time, but Born to Run is a near perfect album. It's, it's short. It's only eight songs. There's, there's really nothing that you skip there. And it's completely romantic and exciting. And it's a movie. Uh, yeah. there, there's, there's no other way to say it. It's yeah. a perfect record. We'll go down in history and it's, it's amazing. Tunnel Love is probably the smartest follow-up to a giant success that, you know, he could have made and put out a Born in the USA too. Right. He had the songs to do it. We've seen that uh, mm -hmm. from tracks and other things. Uh, so he could have done that and Tunnel Love is just so perfect to me. And you, you mentioned Tougher Than the Rest. You know, watching that at Broadway in particular. Oh, yeah. so beautiful to see them do that together. Uh, brilliant disguise. But the song I would actually say that stands out the most uh, from Tunnel Love that should be much more widely known and excited is Walk Like a Man. Yeah, beautiful and song. He doesn't play it. He, it's hardly ever been played. But if there's, I can't think of other songs that attack the idea of it's my wedding day, I'm scared, I don't know what life is going to be like going forward. I also have this relationship with my dad who set an example for me that I'm going to try and follow. And I actually, I actually wrote some of the lyrics one day on Father's Day and sent a letter to my dad and, and kind of tried to explain to him what I was hearing in there and that I was trying to follow the example that he set. I wish Walk Like a Man was a bigger deal to people because the song is amazing, but go ahead. Did your dad get it? I think so. I mean, he, he acknowledged it and okay. I, he appreciated it. We didn't talk that much about the song, but I think the idea that I had, had sent something like that was probably a cool moment. Because the reason why, and I, I have shared this story, I was listening to The Wish and I was getting very emotional. And I realized I still have a mom. Mm -hmm. So I dialed my mom. And I was trying to explain to her how the song, and it's about Bruce and his mother, and she's got Alzheimer, and, uh, and she did not get it at all. She's like, what? What's going on, Jesse Wayne? Is is everything okay? That's like, yes, mom. It's just I just love you so much, and so so I'm glad your dad got it. You, I, I love what you're saying there, though, because that was one of my biggest takeaways from the Broadway show. The Wish is not a huge song in the Springsteen canon compared to some of the other stuff that was played in the show. But when you hear it after him talk about mom coming over and they always had music on because. They, they thought it kind of helped her be yes. aware of what was happening and she loved to dance. And you could hear the hurt in his voice. Playing that song after hearing him talk about her, that was what that show was so great at. Well, and then when he says the, you'll know me, mm -hmm. and he repeats it, you know me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it just breaks your heart. Breaks your heart. 
Those are great choices. Great choices. So uh, the, only, the only thing I'll add, yeah. just because it's probably the most important, is the Darkness songs. And uh, Promised Land, I don't think there's a more perfect Bruce song than Promised Land. It talks about everything, the, the core of what he's trying to get across. I know that things are difficult. I know that things are hard. But even when that's the case, I believe that there's something better. And, you know, my, my favorite song, though, is Racing in the Streets. And some of that same stuff is in there. That whole idea of, uh, you know, some guys come home from work and wash up and they, you know, they're, or they, you know, what is it? They let, uh, they give up living, that whole idea. Yeah. And then there's these other guys that come home and they say, I'm not done trying. I'm going to go out tonight and race my car. That's just an unbelievably cool sentiment. And it's, I think it's something people struggle with. Is this all that there is? Is this what my life is? Can I be something better? I don't think anyone's ever said it better than he said in some of those darkness songs. You know, I, I think you're right. And I think, um, you know, we all should find something that we're passionate about. Um, we certainly should give everything to our, our work life, you know, factory gives us life, you know, to, um, you know, and, and provides for us. And you certainly want to be there for your family and, and be a good father and, or a good mother, you know, and to be a good sibling and, and everything. But you, you, you do hope that everyone has at least something, whether it's, you know, coaching your kids little league or playing golf or podcasting or, you know, playing in a garage band, there's something that you do that brings you joy. And, and I hope they find that. And I hope yep. everyone does that. And I think that that is what racing in the streets about. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Um, wish list of songs you wish you could hear live, but you haven't got to hear. So I've been pretty lucky as far as that goes, uh, you know, seeing, uh, Born to Run full shows or the River full shows yeah. certainly crossed a bunch of stuff off sure. of the list. Uh, but things that I'd love to see, I'd love to see Blinded by the Light, which I haven't seen. I talked about Walk Like a Man is probably of the album tracks. Yeah. The one biggest song that... Number one on your list, yeah. Deal for me. But I'd actually say the number one song that I really would love to hear, because I know I think it's good live too, but I haven't had the pleasure and I just missed it so many times, even even to the point it was on set list and not played, is uh, Take Them As They Come off of tracks. It's, I, I don't know why it doesn't get played more. I think I think it could have been yeah. a hit. Yeah, I think so too. That's that's good. That's good. All right, Mark, what have I not asked you that I should have? Um, we, you know, I think we did pretty good. The only okay. other thing that kind of came to mind is we talked a little bit about coaching and sports and that kind of thing. And I didn't really get into the idea that, you know, growing up while music wasn't a big part, sports was a huge part of my kid life. Uh -huh. And I had this kind I bring this up because I had this conversation with someone not that long ago. I don't know if you're aware and maybe you are, but Bruce is probably a fan favorite of one particular job piece, and it's um, older sports writers. Have you, have you heard that stereotype? No, before? I have not. Especially on the East Coast, and a lot of younger sports writers will make fun of all these old guys like are, are in love with Bruce Springsteen. And I, I think it comes from the fact that guys that are probably sports writers 
uh, love the most perfect parts of sports. The fact that the, uh, the story, the fact that the underdog can right. become the winner, that theme is there in, in Springsteen songs. Uh, clearly, if, if Bruce has one thing, it's passion. And that's something you see in great sports moments. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think there's, a, there's more of a, an, you know, an attraction from people that love sports. Once they really get into Bruce and realize what's going on there, I think there's so much that's connected that I think most people don't see. So you'll probably hear people say that now, or you'll mm-hmm. notice it on someone's Twitter yeah. page or whatever, that all East Coast sports writers seem to, old, especially older guys, seem to have Bruce as their favorite guy. Well, that just shows that they have great taste, right? <laughs> uh, it is good. I, that is one of the things I've been lucky about is I have had a few, I've had my share of newspaper writers and I've had people that I don't think normally would ever be on my podcast. But when you go, oh, you want me to talk about Bruce? Okay, sure. I'll talk about Bruce anytime. And and that's been fun to share. That's been really fun to oh, share. Cool. All right. Uh, let's move to the Mary question. We're at that. So we're at that point. This is uh, my, my good friend Bob Bland said, this is your, your James Lipton. And these are your uh, inside the actor studio. This is how you end your show the way he did it. You're that. not going to ask me my favorite curse word. No, no, no. Um, but so Jay Armstrong friend of the show is an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. He um, teaches honors English and every year his seniors, they take two days and they take Thunder Road and they treat it as a poem. He breaks it down by the uh, using the lyrics and look at the imagery and the meaning behind it and they discuss it. They compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, and at the end of the two days, he looks at the class and he says, does Mary get in the car? So, Mark, that's your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? So you're probably going to get more than you bargained for here. I cannot get a, yeah. I've listened to a lot of episodes in the last month or so, because the reason that I became aware of the show was the Mary question. And I don't think her episode has been on yet, but a friend, Liz Bronson, uh, you did a couple weeks yes. ago. And I, again, I don't think it's been on, but I remember she texted my wife and she's like, well, what, what do you think about this? And my wife forwarded it to me. And I probably sent Liz back way more than she bargained for. Yes. And to me, it was, it's, it's a non-negotiable, but I'll, I'll answer it. And the other thing that I'll say is um, I also hate the question. Because oh, please let me just ask you to stop even by bringing this up don't ruin this perfect moment in time that is thunder road by putting any doubt in my mind <laughs> that it could be anything other than exactly what i always thought it was and i'll the only thing i'll compare it to is i remember going to a at the library i went to this movie discussion group one night and they were doing the shawshank redemption which I think it's just a wonderful movie. Absolutely. I actually think there's a lot of Bruce crossover in there. The whole idea of get busy living or get busy dying that you could take that from all sorts of darkness songs. But anyway, the guy gets to the end and he, if you remember Morgan Freeman gets there to the beach and he sees Andy and the words though that are said is, I hope the oceans as blue as I, in my mind, 
I hope I see my friend Andy or something to that effect. And he was trying to make the case that that was all in Morgan Freeman's mind and that they didn't actually get there for this perfect meeting at the end. I remember driving home that night thinking, how dare this guy ruin this image that's in my head by putting any doubt in it? And that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> okay, I, I will raise my hand saying guilty. But okay. anyway, I will gladly go through my reasons why uh, Mary absolutely gets in the car. So um, first, the, you know, th I guess the thing that you have to say is this is a conversation. If you listen to the lyrics, this is a conversation they've had before. Okay, because he says, don't run back inside, darling. You know just what I'm here for. So at some point, he had been there before. She had walked away from his conversation. That's not what happened here. She has, she's at least staying to listen to the rest of what he has to say. So I think there's a lot of lyrical points uh, that are important in there. There's also a lot of musical points that are important in there. And you gotta remember, if this is 1975, this is a much younger Bruce. And we talked about the fact that my belief is that Born to Run's a pretty romantic album. So keep in mind that um, the music that he would have been listening to and was only a couple years away from stuff like, uh, you know, Bob Dylan, like a, you know, like a Rolling Stone. And if you remember when Bruce actually gave the induction speech for Dylan into the Rock Hall, uh, the, the, the sentence that always stuck out to me when he talked specifically about the music, he talked about that first snare shot at the start of Like a Rolling Stone, and he called it a snare shot that opened the door to your mind. Clearly, a young Bruce Springsteen cared about the words, and he cared about the music, and I don't think anything that we're going to talk about is accidental in what he says. So the next lyrical point that I would talk about, though, like we, we talked about, you know, the don't run back inside part, but, and I've heard other people say this, and in fact, I stopped listening uh, to a lot of people's Mary answer because some people were saying some things that either I already thought or contradict, and I was like, I don't want someone to mess up my answer or taint my vision. But clearly, this has come up before, the idea that at some point, or at least on the record, he's saying, I'm pulling out of here. And then I think, it, I don't know if it happened on the Darkness Tour at all, but definitely in 1980 at the Muse shows, you can, want, you can pull those up online or hear the, the, the tape, but that's when he starts saying, we're pulling out of here. It, it's clear to him that we're doing this together, not I'm pulling out of here. So I don't know if he didn't like the way it sounded or if it wasn't, or if something changed in his mind, but clearly the intention of Bruce Springsteen was that those guys uh, were going together. And as far as I know, he's been singing it that way. And I haven't listened to every show, obviously. But sure. I think he's been singing it that way for the last 40 years, including all of the Broadway shows. The only time that I can remember him singing um, I'm Pulling Out of Here is on the Storyteller's show. He says, I'm pulling out of here. But the only thing I can say about that is he had the lyric sheet right in front of him. He was telling stories during the show, and he may have just sung it right off the sheet. Yeah. But clearly, that's a point a lot of people have made, but I think it's an important one. The other thing I would get to is, if you see any band performances, really ever, of Born to Run, all the way back from the beginning, these are not sad performances. Thunder right. Road, with the full band, is a celebration. 
nothing about it makes you think that you know the narrator is disappointed. Uh, and the, it's not, it doesn't end on a downer. You know, if you watch that performance, uh, particularly the Muse show that I referred to, he's up on the piano. He's excited. Yes. This is not someone that's disappointed. Or even take it one step farther if you, and I don't know when this started, but I know for a fact uh, on the Born in the USA tour, if you watch like that Paris 85 video, sometime around that time is when Bruce and Clarence started kissing each other. They would slide together and kiss. It's not, it doesn't appear to be a kiss goodbye. It appears to be a kiss of excitement and fun and celebration. The last piece of celebration, I think this is actually a really important one too. Oftentimes if you listen to a show and especially by Born in the USA, he was doing it this way. The, he'll, he'll actually get to that point and instead of saying the line that's on the album, he'll say, he'll say what are you waiting for? climb in like there's no doubt in your mind this is the best <clears throat> right what are you waiting for climb in that's excitement uh it's not doubt he's not even considering the idea that they're not going to go together a couple other things that i think i would get into um is the idea that oh this is actually the last piece the I talked about the music being important and Bruce recognizing how big of a deal that snare sound was. Here, here's the last piece, and this might be the most nerdy part of my explanation. When you get to that question right at the end, before he says, you know, pull it out of here to win, you hear these piano steps. Dun 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 dun. Now that's that's not a good representation of what it actually sounds like. Yes. But keep in your mind, there's a girl standing on a porch, there's a guy standing down on the ground, and you actually hear these, these steps. And it's oftentimes on a live show, it's a little bit buried in the mix. It's clear on the album, some of the, but some of the live recordings, it's super clear that Roy, in my mind, is playing, you can hear the steps of her running from the porch to the car to jump in. That's a really cool romantic thought. That's what I hear when I hear that set of steps. And I had never heard anyone else say that. No, um, you haven't. Yeah. And I'm not even sure that he says it, but uh, recently uh, I picked up the Brian Hyatt book and he goes into detail about some of the songs. And I actually had it sitting in my house for months before I actually picked it up. And I was paging through and I turn to the Thunder Road section and Roy uses that exact terminology where he talks about playing musical steps. Now he doesn't say that that's Mary running from the porch into the car, but I've been hearing that my entire life. And as a result, for the many reasons that I've laid out here, but that's the biggest one is I believe it wasn't an accident that that music has her running and getting in the car and that's it. I love this answer. And no, it's not too detailed at all. I love that. That is great. That is wonderful. Actually, if you go to the, um, the 92 version, uh, they're, they're completely different, but on the, on the, the keyboard organ that Roy plays, it's a much slower definitive set of steps go back and listen to it and what you'll hear is just an older uh maybe older people 
slowly stepping down, but still making those same steps from the porch to the car. I love it. I love it. That is great. Good job. Um, if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Sure. Um, I think like a lot of people, the easiest would be Twitter or something to that effect. At Twitter, it's just at Mark Hornock, which is M-A-R-K-H-O-R-N-O-K. Okay, good. Um, this was great. This was wonderful. Um, I, I, you're welcome anytime. If you, you think of something it. you want to do, uh, if you think of something else, um, there, uh, I just would love to have you on. This is a blast. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I hope as you're kids head off to college, whether it's virtual or reality. I hope they're all staying safe and you're one in high school. I, you're two in high school. I know that's got to be scary and I hope you and your wife are safe and doing well. And Well, um, everybody's, everybody's on remote learning. Okay. So I, what are you guys doing there? Yeah, so far we're remote. Um, my job actually went back into the office in the, toward the end of May. So I've been in the office for the summer. Um, so to a certain degree, my life is a little more normal. You know, I, I get up, I, I, I do the five minute drive. I, my new job that I started in February, somehow I ended up being like less than seven minutes from my house. So I drive there, we go, we work all day. I come home. Uh, the only difference is we never go out to eat or do anything, you know, but I'm at least commuting back and forth. Um, we're worried about in Texas, we're worried about schools and getting them started. Um, it's, it's so right now we're remote about three quarters of my staff is remote. So we're, it's, 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 it's a weird time. It's a scary time. It is a weird time, but this Jesse was fun and a nice uh, reprieve from all of the not fun. And you made it so easy to talk. And certainly this is a, a conversation anybody can enjoy having. So thank you. Well, you are very welcome. Thank you for joining me. Listeners, you stay safe. Please be careful. Remember to social distance. Wash your hands. Wear an effing mask. Take care of yourself. And please um, be good to each other. We will talk to you soon. And thank you so much. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation. And I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlustingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Brew shirts, as well as a Merry Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash and right now, who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking 
hard rock music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.